In today's episode of Board Game Impact, Josh and I talk about the games we've been playing recently because guess what? School's out. And then at the same time, we talk about the Spiel de Jahr nominations and board game news. Um, and so do stay tuned for that because it's going to be important, if you, especially if you live in the United States. Stay tuned. Welcome to Board Game Impact. My name is Bruce. I'm Josh. And we're your hosts. So at Board Game Impact, if this is your first time visiting, welcome. If you have listened before, welcome back. Uh, at Board Game Impact, we seek to provide um, some very useful content for you and your board game group. So that way you can make informed decisions that are just going to better everyone involved. And because this is such a great hobby that's given us so much that we want to give back to it. And how we do that is we combine our, ho- our passion for this amazing hobby and combine that with our backgrounds. Bo- both Josh and I work in education and we are evaluating every time we're playing games, we're looking at the experiences it's bringing out in different players, the experiences it's bringing out in ourselves, the components and, and how those match up with the game. You name it, we're talking about it. And so from all that, we are able to provide some really unique content. And so if that sounds interesting to you, well, you still have your phone or whatever device you're listening to this in your hand or in front of you, just do click subscribe. Uh, So real quick, um, if you are traveling this upcoming weekend, this upcoming weekend is Memorial Day weekend. If you're traveling, first of all, safe travels. Uh, But secondly, this weekend in Dallas, Texas, there's a thing called Board Game Geek Spring. So BGG.Spring. It's a convention. It's completely sold out. Um, But I will be there. So Bruce, I will be there. Um, Josh, however, will not be joining us at this one. But I believe he's coming in the fall, potentially, um, in November. But if you're going to be there, please do email and reach out. Um, Josh, you've been to BGG before. What's the experience like for those who might be coming but not have have been there before? The... So I have not done BGG spring. I've done uh, traditional BGG in November. It's a fantastic experience. Just, I mean, wall-to-wall, day-to-day gaming um, with uh, uh, anyone you want. Um, it's great. You can kind of, uh, you know, pick out a table and, and target something out that you really want to be playing and find, generally, you can find pretty simple pretty quickly and pretty easily people to sit down and join with you if you don't have a group if you have a group you can pretty much game all day um typically uh my experience has been that i go and really don't break at all from about eight in the morning until about two in the morning it's josh is hardcore. pretty much non-stop gaming it's it's really hard you know to <laughs> to do that no it's it's a fantastic time or if that's not what you want to do there there are always other activities going on um that that m- other ways to fill your time it, it's a really great experience i'm really jealous that you are getting to go this uh memorial day really wish i would have had a planned out my my life just a little bit better and still had some vacation days to join you this spring, Bruce. Uh, Well, I appreciate it. You do have some other big life event things coming up, and um, so you kind of need the vacation days for that, but um, I appreciate it, and you will be missed. However, listeners, if you're going to be there, do reach out. I'd love to play a game with you. 
or maybe even I'm gonna I am gonna try and take a side trip over to the Warhammer Citadel, uh, which is the Warhammer board game cafe that is in Grapevine, Texas. And so we'll be checking that out. Um, and so if I'm not in the convention, that's probably where I'm at. Um, but I do look forward to you getting to see you. Um, so even if you're not, not if you can't work out playing a game, do come in and say hi. I uh, always appreciate and love that when that happens. Um, so Josh and I are finally more into the summer schedule of things. Uh, I know our students finished up last week with all their finals. Josh, have, does your students have finals yet? We kicked them out last weekend. I am finally alone in my building and it is beautiful. Ah, congratulations <laughs> I will say on that. that. For the next couple weeks, um, I'm sure eventually I will get tired of the quiet, but for the time being, the, the downtime is greatly appreciated. Well, that is great, and that means maybe a little bit more time for gaming, because I know for me, I don't have as many late-night meetings, because guess what? Students meet at night, and so more gaming, y'all. It's going to be awesome. So that being said, already, um, unlike the last episode where we did that hybrid of combining different things, already I know I've been able to play some more games. I know Josh has been able to continue to play some games, and so we're going to have some games we've been playing recently, and then we have some cool news for you, um, and then we'll see what we go, where we go from there. And so, Josh, I have to make a confession here. Um, a thing happened for me, um, and I was resisting for a while. Also, access was kind of a problem. But I finally got my hands on and played multiple times. I played Wingspan. So we're talking about Stonemeyer games again. And I know you really enjoy this game, right? Absolutely. I'm so glad and I am very excited to hear your thoughts uh, as to what you what your experience with with this game has been. And I'd love to since I'm going to start talking for the next little bit. Josh, how about you give a quick rundown of what Wingspan is since you were the kind of the one that introduced it to the channel? Sure. So Wingspan is a it is an engine building game in which you are uh, using a deck of cards you are gathering cards which are depict different varieties of birds or species of birds, and you are attracting them to your board, which is your bird sanctuary. Uh, and kind of the neat thing about this, you're selecting actions as you collect them to your sanctuary, and those actions will allow you to trigger their special abilities which is how you kind of develop an engine that will earn you points in different ways. Yeah, and so that's pretty perfect. And so you get points for the birds that you have out there. Um, you get points for eggs. So yes, you can lay eggs on birds. And what I thought was really cool is I was reading into the side notes inside the rule book, and they scaled the number of eggs that a bird card can hold on the actual number of eggs of that type of bird typically lays within a year. Because there's something like 174 different cards, and that represents um, just a small fraction. And they say that that is um, 174 of 700-some-odd bird species that are inside in the North America area, which is just crazy and cool. Because there's actually this little box on the bottom that shows the world and shades in where in the world you can find that bird. Um, Josh, I just got to come right off the bat just saying this game is absolutely gorgeous. Uh, the rulebook is linen. <laughs> Like the quality with this thing, um, so I brought it to both a birthday party night as well as a um, regular meetup night where we're in a pub, and I had 
it comes with a little dice tower that's a birdhouse listeners it like literally looks like a birdhouse and it, a, it didn't even need to have a dice tower but they put it in and your birds go over like you essentially pick food out of it I had so many people that aren't gamers that just stopped by and were like, what the heck are you doing? What? And then when they saw it, they're like, I want to do this. And I'm like, I'm sorry, all the seats are full. We were playing a full five-player game. And everyone I introduced this to had a really good in, good time. We played it in about an hour, um, with plus about 15 minutes of learning on the front end, which about makes sense. That was when we were playing three-player. When we were playing five-player, where four people are all brand new, that game took a little longer. Uh, but... Honestly, every one of the cards is just really well made. Um, the art on them is fantastic. It's easy to learn the symbols. Now, you just got to train yourself because it depicts different types of nests or different types of environments, and you just have to get used to seeing those symbols. That was the only thing. Um, this is a game that I can't wait to play two-player with my wife. I think it's going to scale really, really well. Um, I think the praise that this game has gotten is absolutely warranted. Um, I know there's some uh, things going on out there of, hey, why was, why was there only so many of this game made? And if you want to see some of those threads, go to Board Game Geek, things like that. I'm just going to say this now, regardless of how many games were made or things like that, I'm just going to tell you it's a phenomenal game. It's staying in my collection. Um, I did not have an engine builder in my collection, and this is going to be it uh, because I like ones that are easy to approach. Plus, I grew up watching birds with my grandma and having tea. And so it's just kind of very homey feeling and very inviting for every one of the players. We've absolutely loved it. So that's been my experience. Yeah, absolutely. It, I, I won't go into the, the umpteenth <laughs> exposition on why i love this game but i, I think you you kind of hit the nail on the head with with the attention to detail that was really put into this game it it's i have not ex exposed someone to this game and not had them love it it's so easy to teach it is so easy to learn and do well even if you're not you know a hardcore gamer that it just makes it so approachable and still has a depth and complexity and enjoyment that allows for for people who are more in-depth heavy board gamers to gain some some type of enjoyment and take take away a really pleasant and fun experience so absolutely i there's a lot going on around this game and, and i think that all of the chatter has been well well warranted and i'm just going to add in real quick so if you are a heavier gamer um i played through this twice and i still have not seen all the types of birds and the definitely not even close to the infinite like synergies that can be created by them coming together so even if you're a new player this is gonna be great if you're an experienced gamer who likes and has experienced engine building games and it's kind of part of your repertoire you're gonna enjoy it uh, because i did play it with some people who love like 51st state and games like that and they absolutely loved it and so i'd highly recommend checking it out if you can um, i do will recommend just waiting for it to be msrp prices um, and so just wait between those print runs. It's worth the wait. Um, I know it can be antsy, but so if you really want to, you can pay a lot more, but I'd recommend just waiting because more are on their way. Um, and so it's excellent. Um, I think we can put, put a nail in that one. And so Josh, how about you bring up another game? You're, you're, you're awful, Bruce. I just want to call out the terrible pun or attempt at a pun. Um, you're welcome. That was, that was absolutely terrible. Oh, I take Thank that you. as a compliment. You're welcome. 
All right. <laughs> so the the next game, the first game that I want to talk about this week is a new game for me as well, and that is Oz Australia by Stronghold that game or Stronghold Games. That is A U Z T R A I L A Oz Australia. This is a game designed by Martin Wallace. Legendary um, designer, yeah. Really, really phenomenal game designer. And this is a really, really interesting concept behind a game, especially a Martin Wallace game. So it is a spiritual successor to one of his earlier games, A Study in Emerald. I have not had a chance to play A Study in Emerald, though I really would like a chance to to get that out at some point. I uh, just don't I've never had an opportunity or seen it around at a reasonable uh, time to to put it on the table. But it is the idea behind Australia is that you are trying to build an economy as early settlers in Australia. You are doing this by building railroads into the outback. You are building farms and you are mining resources from different territories of Australia. What is interesting and makes this game very weird is you are doing this economic engine build or economic building by while you are under attack by Cthulhu elder gods. Um, you know, so, just your average Tuesday. Just your average Tuesday. Um, your very stereotypical economic game. You are building your economy while fending off zombies and elder gods and destroying temples as you explore the outback. A really, really fun and interesting design. The concept is that the Elder Gods have been defeated once before in the previous game, A Study in Emerald, and they retreated to their strongholds in Australia. You are now uh, in a roughly World War One, World War Two era um, world, expanding out into Australia, and... It is a competitive co-op. So you are competing against other players to build the best economy by building your railroads. As you build your railroads, you are connected to new lands, which you can build farms. And all of these things will earn you points at the end of the game. But as you get further into the island, you begin to encounter these elder gods and they will begin to attack and blight your farms and come after your port cities what makes this game cooperative is that if one player loses to the elder gods all players lose to the elder gods uh. which was a really interesting mechanic and actually i've played this now twice both times two player which i will say is probably not the optimal player count i would okay. say probably three or four players is a better player count for this game. We lost very early both times really? because we were so focused on competing with one another and cutting each other off from resources that <laughs> the other person needed so that 
we would have the better economy late game, hmm. that we weakened our opponent to a point that they lost to the Elder Gods. Ouch. And so it develops this really interesting player interactions and player dynamics of you don't want to completely block off your opponent, but you want to block them off just enough that you still have a little bit of a competitive advantage if you do, as a team, survive and defeat the Elder Gods. Hmm. There's also this really interesting mechanic of, of time management. So time is a resource. You will... Each action requires a certain amount of time. And... As you utilize that time, it progresses the game a little bit further. And so if you take an action that may take three or four turns, you have to wait until everyone else catches up to you in time. It's huh. a really neat kind of mechanic that I, yeah. I think makes for some really interesting decisions. Okay. And so if you were to play it again, you said you would go more higher player count. Um, but it sounds like you enjoyed it overall. Just It was a challenge. It is incredibly challenging. It is incredibly fun. Um, both times that we played, we lost pretty early. But I, again, both times we played, we lost, and we're like, "Well, do we have time to play this again? Can okay. we can we go again and try and and, and do this?" So, it, it's challenging in a in, in a really enjoyable way. And that's great. I mean, I so, love it when any game can evoke that emotion of, "Hey, let's try and go again," especially with a little bit longer of a game. Speaking of a little bit longer and definitely competing, this next game, I know a lot of people love it, and some other people are like, definitely not my flavor, not my thing. Um, and I got the opportunity finally to play this game, and I'm just gonna t I'm gonna spoil it for myself right now and say like, this is a game I have to own. Um, and I know we're gonna talk about it real quick, Josh and I. But I say I have to own it because it actually has a lot to do with part of my work and part of my PhD studies. Um, and, and that is because the game is Food, Food Chain Magnate by Splatter Spellin. So most people just call it that Splatter. Food Chain is, for the most part, um, kind of an ugly game. I'm just going to say it. The board is just a basic grid, like literally white squares with black lines and then a some roads and some other spots that are houses. And what you're doing in Food Chain Magnate is you are literally the CEO of a food chain and your peop the people in the town are people that you need to advertise products to. And guess what? They won't shop unless they actually get advertised to and then you also have to make those products so you're making either pizza or burgers and then you're selling either like soda or um lemonade or beer etc and so you're advertising these different products and then they're going to have demands and they're going to go to the place that's a the closest the cheapest by a combination of a, a little bit of math of distance plus price and so if you have it, f what they need for the best price, and that's, again, distance plus price, then they'll buy it from you. And what's interesting about the game is that the game starts with a certain amount of money in the bank. Once that money runs out, at the beginning of the game, players have put in a secret card that then all get revealed. And then you find out, are we going to have a short, medium, or long game? Um, and so 
you're going to be making decisions as you're going. Uh, once the bank runs out of money a second time, the game's going to end. But you're going to be making different ad campaigns by putting mailbox flyers out, by sending out skywriting, by having um, actual like radio antennas go. Um, the most fascinating thing about this game, and the reason I need to own it, is because the action selection mechanic. It's phenomenal in my opinion. It's different than anything I've ever seen and is right up my alley and because part of my PhD is in organizational design for businesses. And so what you're doing is you actually are building a hierarchy, an organizational structure in front of you. And so you'll hire, you'll start out with the CEO, you might hire the recruiting girl and the recruiting girl will help you hire more people. Then you literally will hire a cook and the cook will, you, you can choose, is he going to make burgers? Is he going to make um, pizza? You can hire people to go out and get things. Um, so pick up different drinks from around the board and to bring them back for your inventory. You can hire trainers to train up people to be better versions of um, essentially a pickup person to then being a Zeppelin pilot as the highest thing. Or train up the junior manager to be eventually a coach or a, um, a C CFO. And by those things, and you're limited to how many people each type of person can supervise, by having different player, different characters in your organization chart will tell you what actions you get to take. And then you also have to be able to pay for all the salaries, whether they were in the org structure or not. That in itself was just such a cool new thing for me. Um, I loved it. it. I love the way that you can design an organization differently and get different results, but you're constantly balancing. Do I train my people? Do I market things? Do I sell things? Do I make things? And so I just loved that interaction it had. Plus when other people would market something, I could snipe underneath them and undercut them and sell it to the residents for less and they'll go to me instead. Um, and so other people can market your stuff, which is exactly how the business world works. Like you might generate a demand for smartphones, but if your smartphone is better or cheaper, they might go to you instead. Um, so that's a lot about food chain. Josh, I, I got to know your thoughts because I've been seeing some faces. Oh, I'm sorry, Bruce. I was falling asleep while you were explaining this game. <laughs> no. Um... <laughs> It sounds like a very boring game. My experiences with this game have not been the most pleasant. This game is I super will dry. Say, yeah. it, it, I will say, in defense of the game, as I sit here and think about it, I, I would like to give this game another shot. I had a terrible experience the one time I played this. Um, it is a brutally brutally punishing game just like the business world if you fall behind early you will stay behind forever there is no catch-up there is no equalizer it is the market drives the people who are doing well to do better and it punishes those who are doing poor um it's a pretty accurate representation of a capitalistic society, but you know, it, it wasn't enjoyable, especially when you flip that card and you're like, Oh, this is a long game. And I'm so far behind already that I'm just going to sit here for the next two hours and be brutally beaten over the head with how bad I'm doing. Um, 
and really in my one unique circumstance, I made some poor decisions, but the main reason I was so far behind was due to someone else's decision making who was also losing the game. So, right, it was, there were some frustrations there. This is, I will say this is not everyone's cup of tea. Yeah, it it is is not everyone's cup of tea. (laughs) It is the most Euro game I can think of in terms of a, I mean, in terms of thematics, it's relatively, it, it hits the nail on the head in terms of theme. But it is, it is just business. It is owning and managing a business. Yeah, and honestly, like, just to reiterate what Josh was talking about with money in the game, the last game I played, the money pool in total between the first part and then the second part was about eight hundred dollars, and I had five hundred of the eight hundred dollars, and so there was no way. Because again, the money was limited. There was no way the other players were going to catch up, and so I will say that they are having an expansion to come out for this. That's coming out this year at SN, so in November, and it is called the catch-up mechanic. Uh, so catch-up like the condiment, and they're saying they will involve catch-up to some extent, but they haven't said what. Um, but this game is absolutely—it's actually easy to learn. I will say that because the mechanic of playing the cards that's easy understanding what it's going to mean on the board that is very very difficult Um, and then the layers of the competing interests and the different things getting marketed and then which houses are going to get marketed to first there's a lot of layers here it's a very difficult game to master Um, but i like the things it brought out and so if you are a heavier gamer and you're looking for something that is you owning and running a business this is the game to get if you are a brand new player, avoid this at all costs for a while. Um, I will say that there is a introductory version um, in the rules where you cut out all, there's things called milestones. You cut all of that out. You don't do that second half of the game. You only play till the bank runs out of money once. And I believe you use 75, put $75 per player into the bank. And so if you're playing with four players, you're only playing to $300. And so you'll probably have about an hour and a half, two hour game. This game, when it does go longer, can go much, much longer. Um, But yeah, so that's Food Chain Magnate. Um, I am absolutely going to be buying it. I cannot wait to play it again. I cannot wait to try it two-player with my wife because she really likes dry Euro games. I'm I'm a lucky one that she'll play those games, but I know that is not everyone's cup of tea. Um, But yeah, so that's Food Chain. So from one seemingly dry euro to another seemingly dry euro, we are going to dip back into the Stonemeyer well here with a game I don't think we've talked about yet. We haven't. Despite as all the times we've talked about Stonemeyer, mm-hmm. Viticulture. Um, I just got Viticulture back to the table last weekend. And man, I really, I forgot how much i love this game i always do every time because i go so long between plays listeners for those of you who aren't familiar with viticulture it is a game in which you are making wine so throughout the year you are drawing varietals of grapes you are planting them in your fields you are harvesting them you are 
converting them into wine and you are hoping to use that wine to fulfill orders which will earn you points you can also earn a variety of points through other means like giving tours on your vineyard or having guests come to your vineyard uh, a number of different ways in which you gather points and i again it's just a game that falls off my radar all the time until I get it back to the table. It's can be hard to get to the table. I always also forget how long it takes to teach the game because there are. So to be clear to, to listeners, I only play viticulture with the Tuscany expansion. Hmm. Um, there is a base game viticulture that is a little bit easier to explain shorter easier to digest. I just personally think the Tuscany expansion adds enough to the game that I won't play without it. And so it does take a while to teach. It takes roughly 30 to 45 minutes for me to teach a new player game usually takes with new players two ish hours, if not a little bit longer. So it is a longer time commitment. So it's harder to hit the table but when it does, I just fall in love with this game all over again. Yeah. And interestingly, and yeah, I was just going to say, I love this game too. I absolutely love it. And I just had to ask for clarification, Josh, and then I'm going to let you keep going. Um, when you're saying that you're playing with the Tuscany expansion, are you playing with Viticulture? Or are you playing with Viticulture Essential Edition and then adding in Tuscany Essential? Or are you going Viticulture and then adding in tu- Tuscany? And the listeners, mm. what that is, is. After they released the base game of Viticulture and then Tuscany, um, they took some of the elements from Tuscany and put that into a new base game called Viticulture Essential Edition. And then anybody who wanted the extra stuff on top of that could add in Tuscany Essential. So just need to clarify which one you're going with, Josh. There are so many copies and editions and varieties and ways in which people play this game because then you also have visitors of more that just came out recently and the question of whether if you're playing with Tuscany, do you include the olive oil and tomatoes and all of the other things that came in that? So to answer your question, Bruce, I play viticulture essentials with the Tuscany expansion, but without the extra things. So I don't include the extra buildings. Okay. So, Again, listeners, this probably, for those of you who aren't familiar with the game, sounds like a lot of um, mumbo-jumbo. It, it's there are There is a lot to this game. There's a lot to explore. You could pick up Viticulture and its expansions, and I legitimately think you could not purchase another game for quite some time. And Agree. with all there is to explore and understand and dive into with this game you you could really dedicate some time to it yeah i i it it was quite funny we actually recently um our our uh, group me that bruce and i are a part of we people were putting up their top nine games of all time um in, in 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 a graphic image and i was doing mine today and i was thinking through and I was really struggling because I, I wanted to put Viticulture in there and Wingspan, I Wingspan edged it out a little bit, but you know, had you asked me a week ago, 
Viticulture wouldn't have crossed my mind because it mm. it does fall off my radar. But man, is it great! Yeah. Um, I highly, highly recommend listeners to go out and check this out. Like I said, there's there's a lot of variety in terms of the ways in which you can play the game. I do recommend that you get either Viticulture Essentials or Viticulture and Tuscany at bare minimum. It's just a better game experience, in my opinion. But it is, for as boring as a con, like of a, of a concept as making wine may sound, it is just a really, really great experience to have. And Bruce, I know, I believe we may have played this game once together. We but did. What What have your experiences playing so with this? So I have to be fully transparent. Um, and that I used to work in the wine industry. Um, so when I was living out in California on the weekends, we I was living, we were living in wine country, um, Central Coast wine country, so like Paso Robles. Um, and I was actually just there two days ago. Um, definitely went to three different wineries while we were out there. Um, it's just part <laughs> of who I am. Should. Like I belong, I belong to different wine clubs from California, and I used to belong to one from. Um, Washington. So I am very much into the wine industry. Um, I studied for the certified specialist in, of wine exam. Um, so wine is a thing of mine, um, as well as other alcoholic beverages. I know a lot it, more than the average human needs to. Um, that being said, what I, I love viticulture. Uh, my wife loves viticulture. Um, it was actually one of the first board games I bought for a family member because we loved it so much. So I bought it for my brother who went one period or another was interested in investing in a winery. Um, so that was a thing. And so I know how much wine means to him. And so I'm actually going to come at it from that lens of my experience. This game is really good for uh, learning some basics of like worker placement. Cause that's how the whole thing pretty much works. And then you manage your own little plantings on your board. Um, and then what's really, really cool is the level of accuracy that actually went into how this game plays out. Because if you, Josh, if you and I were to open a winery tomorrow, okay, like, like we have this nice plot of land, things like that, here's the deal. We're going to go and we're going to find the varietal we want. The, all of those plants are clones of each other, FYI. It's all the same plant over and over and over again. It's going to take three years before that plant will yield any fruit that you can actually use to make wine. The other stuff just isn't enough quantity. It isn't enough potency. Like it just doesn't work. And so there is a delay in the game. When you plant your fruit, it's going to take a while, a couple turns for then it to yield some results. Um, and I love the fact that they built that in. I love the fact that you can then what's called pressing your grapes. That's how you turn grapes into juice and then to, then you ferment them and then i love the fact that they built in the different cellars you can have and how if you age the wine you can get more points for it which is literally how all this works um, the only complaint i have the the main complaint i have with this game and it is small but it is not how this works in real life and that is to make a rosé you do not combine a red <laughs> grape and a white grape that's not what happens um <laughs> Everything else is really spot on. I love the fact that if you open a tasting room, which you don't have to do uh, on your little board, then you'll get points from people coming in. But you have to have wine in your cellars 
makes sense. You have to have wine to be able to have for them. If you can't tell, I love this game. Um, and for as a side note, because I said that's not how that works, how you make rosé is you get a red grape, and then you press it. And when you press it, the 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 shells, not the shells, but the skin of the grape is going to settle out differently in the liquid. And so what you do to make rosé is you limit the contact that it's going to have with the skin. And so after it gets enough contact where it's going to impart some flavors, impart some structure, because that's where you get the structure of the grape, of the wine, then you remove those skins and other things, and then you're left with the liquid. If you let it stay in contact longer and much longer, and you do more of what's called pump overs and really circulate it, then you're going to get a true red wine. Sorry, I could not help it, but you do not. You do not take a red bottle and a white bottle and pour them together. That's my only thing with this game, but it's a phenomenal game, and I highly, highly, highly recommend you play it. I play just Viticulture Essential Edition because that's all I need in my life. Sorry, that was a lot. So, Bruce... <laughs> Your your nerd is showing. Yeah, but, I'm, um, yeah. Uh, sorry, listeners, that I'm not sorry, but this is something I am passionate about, and I sharing it with the world. And so, Bruce, uh, not to to touch off another tirade, but is it true then that you combine two red grapes and a white grape to make champagne? That is not how that works. <laughs> not how that works at all. <laughs> how you make champagne? So, I, I'm going to say it. Okay. You brought it up. We're, I wasn't going to go there. Um, how you make champagne is you make is you can make a rosé. Um, so there's a thing called Blanc de Noir. Um, so that means a white wine of red grapes or you can do a blanc de blancs which is a white of whites and so that is something like a chardonnay a viognier a chenin blanc etc how you make turn make it into champagne and listeners i know you weren't expecting to listen to the wine podcast but hey here we are um it's awesome how you then turn it into champagne is it has to go through a secondary fermentation um you will essentially what you do is you because when you make wine, any kind of alcohol, you're introducing yeast, and the yeast is going to eat the sugars, and then it's going to poop out, essentially, alcohol and CO2. Well, what you have to do is you have to introduce more sugars later and then bottle it and add in a little bit more yeast, and that's how you get the effervescence, the bubbles, inside champagne. Um, that's why it has to be served in a different type of bottle with a different type of cap closure because it's got a lot of pressure building up in it, and usually you will age it. Um, so you actually age it in the barrels and things like that, and then we'll add in a little bit more yeast and a little bit more sugar, and then you'll cap it, and so all that will be going on in the bottle. You add too much, the bottle's going to explode. Uh, before people get to it, add too little, you don't have bubbles. So that is how you make champagne. And if you want to go more into this, please reach out because um, then we could talk about those who age their champagne underneath the ocean um, north of France. And then we can also talk how those, those other ones um, de increase the racking percentages, so what angle the bottles are at in caves underneath the ground. Um, so if you want to talk about the Method de Champagne um, or other ones, please let me know. I, I would be happy to share you share some information. Well, Bruce, I believe we've just found a spinoff podcast. Thank you so much for that lesson Cheers. in viticulture. So that was our 
uh, discussion of viticulture, again, <laughs> I, I think it, it comes through. Uh, both Bruce and I are, are huge fans of this game. Yeah. I highly recommend listeners check it out um, in whatever form you are able to get your hands on. Okay. Bruce, what else have you been playing? Yeah, and listeners, we're kind of just going all in on these um, because there's a lot of cool new things that we haven't talked about that are just cool to check out. Um, so this next one I have is an expansion um, for a game that's very widely loved and very widely known, and that's called Seven Wonders. Um, so the classic Seven Wonders is a game in which you are card drafting, so you literally start with a hand of eight cards. I know it's Seven Wonders, but it's eight cards because only seven of the cards are going to get played. You take one card, you pass it and everyone reveals the card they took and you're trying to score victory points um, some of the cards will give you resources and you have to have later in the game you have to have resources in order to then build different things whoever has the most victory points wins so here's the thing seven wonders by itself it's fun but you're really playing a little solo game and the only interaction you have is passing it the cards to the player to the to your left or to your right and if you need to buy resources maybe giving them some money um so what I got to play is the Seven Wonders Armada expansion, which added in this extra board for each of us. Um, and it had different tracks. It had the military track. It had the trading track. It had the culture tracks. So those are different colors. That would be red, yellow, and blue, as well as green, which is for science. And what happens is every time you play a card of that chosen color for the regular part of the game, you can do a thing, because there's like little like resource thresholds, and increase your boat on the track. And you're trying to get your boats further along. The further you get them along, the cooler things um, that you get access to. So if you move your military boat along, you get a stronger military presence. Also, you're increasing your naval presence because if you have a strong navy, you can win battles against other navy players against on the table. So what the boats add and open up essentially is all the players are their own standalone islands and you can sit, you're essentially sailing around in between the boards and you can fight them like further people away. Um, you can explore distant islands by increasing your science track, which gives you better bonuses on things. Um, you can increase your trade, which actually, if you have a higher level of trade than others, then everyone else gets tra taxed. Um, and so it really, really brought out a lot more player interaction. If you like Seven Wonders and you typically play it with a large player count, add in Armada. Please, like, you have to get it. If you play Seven Wonders at a low player count, do not add in Armada because you're already having enough player interaction. So Armada really made the larger player count games that much more fun. Um, so I'd highly recommend it. That's from Repos Publishing. It's just coming out, so you're just seeing it on the market. So if you're one that likes Seven Wonders and you're playing with a large player count, it, it's going to add in a lot more player interaction, make the game a lot more approachable. It's going to add in a little bit more teaching that you're going to have to do. But if you already understand vanilla Seven Wonders, you're going to be fine. It's nothing brand, brand new, um, except for that just increased interaction, which is really nice. So yeah, that is Seven Wonders plus the Armada expansion. Yeah, that uh, that sounds really interesting. I, Seven Wonders has long been a, a staple on my shelf, um, something that I, I typically use as an introductory game for a lot of new players that may not have had a lot of experience with with games. I always love the expansions that they come out with. Um, I think every one of them has has made it a little bit more enjoyable for me to continue to play and develop it without 
becoming so much more to uh, learn or understand that new players are completely shut off by it. So this is not one that I've tried, but um, definitely one that I'll be looking out for, Bruce. Yeah, sweet. And I see that you have one more for our listeners. I do. So listeners, the last game that I wanted to mention uh, is actually new to my collection. It is a game known as Role Player. So this is a game in which you are competing with other players to see who can develop the best um, RPG character, essentially. Yep. So you start with a player mat, which is some type of race of um, fantasy creature. It could be human, elf, orc, dwarf. Um, I think dragonkin is in there. There's a couple options. And then you are dealt at random a background and an alignment, just like you kind of develop your D&D or role-playing character. And then you are... There are different ways in which the game offers you to select your... Um, your character's uh, class... Um, the way we did it was through a random selection by pulling a dice out of the bag and using the color that we pulled. Mm. So, but you could also just, you know, draft or, or in some way select uh, your, your cl character class from the deck of cards that you have available to you. And once you have all of that, you are then trying to build out your stats by drafting a, a series of dice out of the middle, out of a bag. Uh, they're in different colors, and the way in which you place them on your board will impact the points that you score at the end of the game based on the colors where they're at. Um, so your background wants your colors to be placed in a certain way. Your class wants you to have more of a certain color of dice than any hmm. other. There are other actions you can take that will move your al allegiance, or sorry, your alignment, around and and if you land on a certain alignment then you'll either earn or lose points at the end of the game and then if you your main thing that you're trying to accomplish is to meet the ability statistics that are provided on your character class card it's a really neat kind of way in which you're developing the the character it, it makes for some really um interesting decisions i enjoyed playing this game i i thought it was was quite fun um it, it was pretty easy to teach um re really easy to to play um i think everyone enjoyed it for the most part it, it's not a game that i'm going to demand we get back to the table right away i think there are some better options out there in terms of drafting dice drafting games i, I think sagrada mm -hmm. kind of fills this very similar vo niche for me um in a game that i would probably jump to more readily but this was a really fun game and it's a really cool concept there are some interesting ways in which they have uh, or th th there have been some suggestions as to an expansion. I'm not sure if it's in the works or not, but they've talked about making an expansion 
where you would actually go out and do an adventure with your characters once you've de designed them, hmm. which I think would be really fun. Um, so definitely worth checking out. Um, it's not an overly expensive game, if I can remember correctly, um, but I, I definitely enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. If you are someone who, like me, my favorite part of role-playing games is actually character design. So um, the designing char new characters is, is part of what I love about role-playing games. If that's something that interests you, I, I, I encourage listeners to check it out because it, it, it does make for some fun decisions or interesting decisions. Um, but, yeah, that that is role-player. Okay. And so, yeah, listeners, this is by everything I've seen with this game. It really looks like a combination, and Josh kind of said this a second ago, but of Sagrada, so dice placement, but you have to place thing colors. You have certain rules you have to, of where you have to place them or should need to place them, as well as like the, the pips, so know how many pips are showing. Um, but if you are a fan of D&D, &D, which I am also a fan of D&D, &D, um, and enjoy the player creation part of it where you're literally building out the stats and getting some gear, um, this sounds like a really good game for you, um, at least to check out. So that's role player. Um, and so with all of that, uh, we're going to take a short break. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about some news that's going on in the hobby because there's some important things to talk about because um, there's a big thing um, that just happened. And so stay tuned for right after the break. Welcome back, listeners. Uh, so hope you enjoyed all of the uh, wine knowledge. Welcome back to the Wine and Board Games podcast. My name is Bruce, and then we have Josh. No, I'm just kidding. This is Board Game Impact. Um, so thanks for taking a short break. And so Josh and I have some news to talk to you about today. So I'm going to kind of give the run-through of the first topic, and then Josh and I are going to kind of spitball some ideas of what it may mean for us. So... At the time of this recording, it hasn't happened yet. So we are not, and we don't know what's going to happen. At the time of you listening to this, it's going to be a thing. And so that is the Spiel der Jahr. Um, so that's the German Game of the Year Awards, which just going to call it Germany Knows Games. And this is essentially the Game of the Year Award. There are three awards. And the nominations go up on Monday, the 20th. So if you're listening to this again uh, at the time of being launched this just happened and if you're listening to it later than that then it's already been announced and maybe the winners have already been chosen so some things to know about this uh, award and again if you're listening to this and this was just announced i encourage you to go to the facebook page because uh, on the day it's announced i'm going to be doing a live stream and so you can go back and see that just to kind of talk through what games were announced and what we know about them or what we can find out about them and just share that with you. So go check that out. And if you want to see more content, do go to the Facebook page. So the Spiel DR is an award for the analog tabletop game um, in German-speaking countries. It was first awarded in 1979. And considered uh, to be considered for the award, it has to be released in Germany. 
and in a German language and published by a German publisher. Um, so two uh, equivalent prizes are also awarded besides the regular Spiel de Jahr. That is the Kinder Spiel de Jahr, which is for kids. And then there's the Kenner Spiel de Jahr, which started in 2011. And that is essentially the game or game of the year. There's no prize money for this thing. Uh, the prize winners may use the award on their boxes. And so if you're walking by and see a little black pawn or most likely a red pawn, that's because it's won this award. And then if you're looking at kids' games, you're looking at the blue pawn. Um, and so that they can actually pay a nominal fee to put that on their boxes. But if you win this, your print runs prob you're probably going to do a print run of about 300,000 games. So it's a big, big deal in the industry. And so the rules of who can be considered... The rules and all other text relevant to the game must be written in German. The game must be released in the current or previous year. Practically unchanged editions um, are excluded. So if you have a game like Viticulture, let's say, and it came out a couple of years ago, and then you come out with a new version, and it's pretty much the same game, it, it cannot be counted. And the game must be available in shops at the time of the judging, which is in May. And the jury will not consider prototypes, drafts, or very small print runs. It must be a, from a German language distributor. And also the game must be playable on its own. And expansions cannot be considered. So if you're thinking like, okay, well, what games have won this? So let me just tell you last year's winners. So in 2018, the winners were Azul by Plan B Games, which is everywhere now. Um, Sparking Treasure, which had a different name in Germany, and that's put out by Haba Games that won the Ken, uh, the Kenderspiel. And then The Quack of Quedlinburg won the Gamer Game of the Year, so the Kenderspiel, the Yar. These are very big deals. Uh, there's three games nominated for each one. And if you're going to Board Game Geek Spring, so BGG Spring over Memorial Day weekend, the Spiel de Yar judges will be there from Germany, and they will have copies of all of the nominees and teach you how to play them. And so I will be reporting out what I think of all these games after, because I'm going to try and play them all. So all nine games, uh, maybe not focus as much on the kids one, but I'm going to check them out anyway. So I will be, be able to report back after BGG Spring about all of these. Josh, what are your thoughts on the award system? And then I thought it might be nice for us to kind of throw out some potential people or games that we think might win. Sure. I think uh, just to start off with, I, I mean, it's really I I really enjoy following the the Kinderspiel uh, awards, just because it kind of gives me a, a nice little insight into the hobby, especially with some games that may not necessarily always make it over to the states as readily as as some others. So, for example. I, I think a lot of people in the States were a little bit blown away when the Quack of Quedlinburg won last year. And I have yet to play it, but, you know, I had not heard about it whenever it was nominated. When it won, I still had really heard very little about it. And now it is all over the place on my newsfeed in terms of people raving about how good it is. So I, they do a really good job of selecting it. Um, I think that the nice thing is, is that it about it for individuals living in the States or, you know, not in Europe for the most part is that it, it brings to light some European games that may not necessarily make it to other markets 
if they weren't given the publicity that they receive through the the, the spiel. Yeah, and so um, just to put it out there, when you're talking about that publicity, you have to realize that Catan won the spiel back when it first came out, which now has sold over like 20 million copies and has a movie deal pending. And so that I think that was in the 90s, and it, I mean, that's the scale we're talking about. Yeah, and... and not every game that comes out of of the Spiel de Jar is going to hit that that level of popularity, but but it is definitely a possibility, and it definitely hits brings p- things on people's radar. I mean, Azul is is a phenomenal game. I love that game. I actually just got a copy of of Azul, the stained glass edition, the the follow up to Azul. I love it so much and um, I'm frustrated right now because I can't seem to beat my fiance (laughs) at Azul anymore. Um, But you know, it's a great game and there that went from a game that I had really only seen at BGG con and it, it was well received at BGG con, but I hadn't really seen it outside of that. And again, when it won, it blew up everywhere you know i i see it in barnes and noble and i see it you know in in a lot of places and on pretty much every table when i go to a game night there i don't know that i've been to a game night in the last year where azul was not present Mm -hmm. and i'm not going to say that that is entirely because it won this award but it definitely brings these games to to the forefront of the conversation around games and makes it so that people are aware of them uh, and, and more likely to see and interact and and play with them. And, you know, I, I look forward to seeing what comes out of this um, of this announcement. Uh, I did not know that the the judges were going to be at BGG Spring, um, and I'm really excited to hear your experience with that. I also may have a shopping list for you <laughs> when you go. Yep. Um, so be on the lookout for that. I expected as much. Um, and so I want to put something out there too. So Spiel, a lot of the nominees, like they can a lot of times it just brings out something new, something innovative, something cool. It's something that's approachable to gamers, something approachable to families, approachable to kids, depending on the level there. Um, but the games, like just to be nominated is a huge thing in itself, just to put that out there. Um, just because you don't win don't does not mean you're not going to be successful. Case in point, Terraforming Mars was nominated two years ago for the Kenner Spiel. So the gamer game of the year. It did not win. There's a whole lot of controversy about that year because the game that won was Exit. There's a series of games, not one game. And so Terraforming Mars did not win. However, it just finished up a Kickstarter for its expansion and that brought in over a million dollars and had something like 20,000 backers. So just because you don't win does not mean that it's not a great game. So if you are looking at games and it has that little spiel pawn on it, whether it won or it was nominated... I'd give those games a little bit extra look because there's probably something cool going on or some experiences and that were highlighted by judges. It might not have won, but I've found that the nominees are also often like wonderful games. 
Um, and so that being said, Josh, how about we just quickly talk through some potential nominees? And so we'll see on Tuesday, on Monday, whether or not this is going to be right, um, just to kind of see what's going on. Uh, do you want to toss one out and then I'll toss one out? Sure. I'm going to go with the one that I, I mentioned when we first brought this up. Yep. And I, I don't know that it's going to win. If you were to ask me my game of the year, this would be mine. But I, I have a very good feeling that Wingspan will receive a nomination. I don't know that it will win. Just I, I don't know that it 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 has a better shot, I think, at the spiel than the Kenner spiel. Um, I don't know that it necessarily makes that gamer game. Okay. But I do think that it is accessible enough that it could definitely be a contender for the spiel. Um, also, I just want to point out to to listeners who may be a little bit confused by what we're talking about. Um, spiel is actually game in German. So we're yes. talking about game of the year. Yep. So in, Sorry in about that. German, it's just spiel de jar is game of the year. Yep. Um, so that's a good call, uh, Josh. Sorry about that, listeners. <laughs> so you're um, going with Wingspan for regular Spiel. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm going to go with one for Spiel as well, and that is Planet. We talked about this in the last episode. It's still pretty hard to find here in the U.S. It retails for like $24. Um, but it's that interesting puzzle ball where you're building a planet and then you're scoring points. It's very approachable to family and like with kids. It's approachable to adults because it's this cool puzzle going on. It's very attracting people to the hobby because it's very interesting um, and which is kind of something that if for the spiel they typically go with, like it's a good game to introduce people to the hobby. It's approachable by different lenses and it's got something unique going on. And so I think that Planet will be a contender um, and it came out, although it's hard to find right now in April, oh, May, June timeline here in the United States. It did come out in Germany um, at Essen in November. And so October, November. And so it, it has been available there for quite a while. Josh, what's another one you got? Yeah. Um, so I think the next game that I, I have is actually not one that I've played, but I, I've just, it's blown up so much and, and it's gotten so such a high amount of praise. I would not be the least bit surprised to see Architects of the West Kingdom uh, as a nominee for the Kinderspiel. It's a, a worker placement game. Um, it is, I've not played, well, I've not played any of the West Kingdom versions. It's the same designers who did uh, Arch or Raiders of the North mm -hmm. Sea and Explorers of the North Sea and uh, Shipwrights. Shipbuilders. Shipwrights of the North Sea. Yep. Um, and I did play Shipwrights and raiders um it looks pretty similar in in terms of style to to those games um and, and i think it's just kind of an improvement upon that system a little bit from what i can tell i i definitely think that this has just the the support of the gaming community to to see it through to a nomination on this one yeah um and so one i'm going to throw out there for the uh, Kenner Spiel, even though it might have been last year's year for this type of game, um, but that is Welcome To, uh, which is a really well-designed um, roll-and-write game. And so it's you don't actually roll anything. You flip over three different cards, and then you're filling out this little grid. It's 1950s. You're 
urban planning in the United States, but with some French language thrown in. It's kind of interesting. The art on it's gorgeous. Um, last year, Gone Schon Clever, which is That's Pretty Clever in German, uh, was a nominee for the Kenner Spiel by Wolfgang Warsch, who also has had, uh, he also had another game nominated last year. This is not by Wolfgang Warsch, but roll and write games have been on the rise and this one does offer a little bit more um, than those other games were offering in terms of the depth as well as art design and so it could be a good nomination for either the kenner or potentially the spiel um, the main game of the year award josh you got another mm-hmm. one um you know part of this is i'm trying to figure out if this game was ever received a german edition um sorry you're good while you look that up i got another one that would be come at me that i don't think is going to happen but i i wonder and i'm just going to put it out there and that is for the kenner spiel so gamer game of the year and this is not a typical way they go but they might be trying to do something different and that is root um so they typically don't have like a more of a war strategy game as an option. And we haven't really seen that in the Kenner spiel for a while. And so I think it might be a good option. It's did come out in Germany. Um, but the level of asymmetric play that is there and bringing that kind of new and innovative and how widely received it has been, I think it could be a possibility. You know, I, I will say that while the, you don't typically see, war style games at the uh spiel de jar i i do think that the mechanics involved pull so much from euro games that Mm -hmm. that that there it may be something to a potential run at, at a nomination for root again i i'll say kind of what i said before is i don't know that root would take the take an award um from the the spiel committee because and they i don't think they've ever to my knowledge i don't know that they've ever highlighted a game that would um a a war style game so it it would just be kind of different or, or out of out of the ordinary for them i think yeah the game that I was trying to figure out, and this is, may also be a long shot because I don't know. It depends on what they mean here. Mm-hmm. But Treasure Island, um, which is a really interesting game uh, and that involves some spatial awareness. You're, you're drawing out, trying to find treasure. one player's hid hidden uh, treasure on the island everyone else is looking for it and and using clues to determine where it is the reason i say this is a long shot they have it is being released in german Mm -hmm. yeah it was out of decimal with a release date but the german edition is not being released until may 2019 so they may be cutting it out just in time to make a push for that or it could be coming in a little bit late so yeah. we will see if if that is able to to pull it out in time to to make it onto the nomination list and if anything it could be a nominee for the next year um, it, that is yeah i will say if it is not this year I, I i would not be surprised to see it next year yeah 
especially for the fun a lot of people have had with that. Um, and so I'm going to throw one more out there, and then we're going to move on to the next topic. And so the last game I'm going to throw out there is Detective, a modern crime board game by Portal Games. Um, this has already won Golden Geek's most innovative board game, is a nominee for Game of the Year and Thematic Game of the Year, Cooperative Game of the Year. Um, it is released in Germany since the very beginning because, I mean, it's from Poland to begin with. Pretty close. Um, so they just kind of threw it across the border there. Um, it's a phenomenal game in which you are solving a murder um, and solving different crimes that are going on. And you're actually interviewing different people. You're looking things up. It's like if you wanted to feel like a cop doing their admin work, of actually pulling up the internet because it asks you to pull up the internet and actually Google things. And so it's real, not real time, but it takes place in an immersive environment. And so you feel like you're actually a detective. And so because of all those things and because of all the praise, I'd be remiss to not throw it into this list. Um, and so Josh, we have another international topic to talk about. Um, but real quick, listeners, I'm kind of curious what your thoughts are on all of these um, and call us out on how we did. Um, but we will comment back about how we did on this one. So do listen for that um, and do check out that live stream. But Josh, we have another international topic to talk about. This is not one that I'm excited to talk about, but it's one we have to talk about. Um, Josh, how about you kind of just take it away? Because you sent me a message when I sent this to you. Yeah, so for our listeners who are in the States, um, I'm sure most people are aware of what is going on with, with the U.S. government and China in relation to trade at, yeah. at this the time of release of this podcast, um, that being some breakdown of trade negotiations and, and a, well, we're in a trade war. Let's just call it what it is. Yep. Um, our our president has recently declared that there will be new tariffs, um, which he will be looking to implement uh, for China, and that is a has included a twenty five percent tariff on all tabletop card dice and uh, I can't remember and what board the game. other and board game um, components being brought from China to the U S yeah. um, it hurts for listeners, for listeners who aren't aware, um, China supplies pretty much all of your games in terms of, of where they are made. Um, there are certainly some that are made in Western Europe or Eastern Europe and, and, you know, other East Asian markets, but, the vast, vast majority do come from China in terms of where they are produced. So any, pretty much any game coming to the States is going to, if this, if this mm -hmm. tariff goes into effect is going to see a price increase. Yeah. And so for those of you who don't remember economics, um, and that's fine, um, how tariffs work. Um, so there's import tariffs and export tariffs. And so this, there are goods coming into the country and essentially at the border being hit with a higher uh, a tax, essentially, um, to for some countries, you'll use this as a way of, let's say, you're selling a product for $100 and somebody else, another country can make it and sell it for 50 Well, you might tax that other product so that way your country's product has more likelihood to thrive. Um, so it makes it more competitive. However, in this kind of trade war situation, 
it's just like tit for tat. And so this is uh, one of many of billions of dollars in product that are looking to be taxed. And so they're looking at up to a 25% tax. So if you buy a $50 board game right now, after this tariff, that game could cost you $62.50. So if you're buying a $100 board game, et cetera. So you just multiply whatever the current MSRP is and add then multiply it by 1.25. And that is what the price is after the tariff most likely at minimum. Um, and so that's with the 25%. So this can really hurt some things. And I say that also from the lens of there are some games made in the United States. Absolutely. And I appreciate the games and the companies and publishers that are doing that. However, just going to call it, there are not as many printers in the United States and we just haven't, that's not been a thing for us because it is so much more economical, economic to put it in another country and ship it over just how it is. Um, it's not like it's goods that go bad. And so to make it somewhere else, to have the labor costs that there are, and then to put it on a boat and have it take its time coming over, we're all kind of used to that. And so it's been kind of a crux in a, of the hobby, and that's how we've operated. And so there will be some town hall forums about this in the middle of June, about June 14th. And so if this is something you want to write your senators about, if there's something, if people that you want to contact about this, to voice of how this is going to impact you, um, Dude, you might want to do that uh, because we're a smaller hobby, and so this might have been a nothing put on here. And so we're not in any way trying to get political, uh, but just want to educate about how tariffs work and that this is potentially coming down the pipeline. So also, if there are some games that you want to get, you might want to just jump on that um, if this is going to be going through when you can get them for a little bit cheaper. I, I, I just want to jump in here. And yeah, I, please I, do. Again, I agree. I don't think we need to go into politics or anything else here. I do just kind of want to point out the, the thing that is most concerning to me about this is the how driven by Kickstarter this industry is. Yeah. And you have so many companies who have are functioning off of a set amount of money that they have gathered through grassroots backers Yep. and they in their planning and in their production and everything, all of their processes, they have marketed themselves for this is how much we have to allocate. This is how much we need to be successful. And we're asking for that amount of money yeah. from not huge margins, the individuals and yeah, not huge and, margins. And so when you're talking about a print run of a game that may be, so a $60 game or a $50 game that is now 62.50 and you're talking about a print run of 10,000 copies or more that that's a pretty substantial tax on on people bringing those into the US. You're talking about what 12.50 times 10,000. Yep. So a lot a lot that that's not a 1.2 million margin yeah 1.2 million is, is not is is not nothing no, 120,000 i apologize or 120,000 <laughs> yeah 120,000 is not nothing for a relatively small company and right if you're only making 10,000 copies of a game you're a pretty small company it it that is my concern is are those companies going to be able to turn back to their their backers and say, Hey, we need another 1250 per person. Or 
are they going to have to eat that or are they just going to have to say, sorry, backers, we can't do this anymore. Right. Like that may be a reality that companies are having to face if this goes into effect. Yeah, because a lot of these games, because you talked on these Kickstarters, they, they've done these Kickstarters in the last couple months under what they thought were going to be the rules of the game. And then now the rules are changing underneath them. And those games are like just starting to be produced. Like they're not here yet. They're not going to be here for a while because when you have a Kickstarter, you have a further off release date. It's going to be a process. And they calculated all that and all those pricing based on that. And so this is could really, really make an impact. Um, and just remember, that's what it costs to come in. There's going to be added costs on top of that that are going to be percentage-wise increases for selling it at retail. So if that game costs $50 just to bring it in the U.S., well, it's now costing $62.50 to bring it in the U.S., and that still has to be sold to a, um, a retailer who's then going to have their own markup on top of that. And so just to understand that, this is this could be very, very interesting. So it's more than just that one first increase potentially. But you're right, Josh. Kickstarter, this could be a big player in the Kickstarter game of the Kickstarters yeah. that already happened. Now, the new ones yeah. might be able to take account for it, um, but we'll see how all this plays out. So um, if there are Kickstarters out there that you've backed, I'd be on the lookout for some updates as things come out and maybe ask um, once this and if this goes into effect, ask how this is affecting because Kickstarters are also typically passion projects and hearing from backers and your support for them would be a good thing. Um, mm -hmm. So Josh, let's just talk about two more things real quick. Um, these are actually Kickstarters on that note. Um, I have one just to give you a heads up about. And so I was contacted by this company. Um, so two companies, that's Burnt Island Games and the Grand Gamers Guild for their upcoming expansion for Endeavor. And so Endeavor was a popular game back in the day. They did a Kickstarter for like a deluxe edition, also streamlined some rules. Josh, I know you own it. Yeah, so I, I think Endeavor originally came out um, 2007. Yeah, right in like there. That. I, somewhere in there. Um, and, and actually, at, when they first announced they were reprinting this uh, at Board Game or BGGCon, uh, we were able to sit down and play, and I, I fell in love with this game. I immediately backed. Um, Age of Sail was the name they gave the reprint. Really, really phenomenal historical-based trading game um, around the Age of Sail. Um, so the opening up of Europe as it ex the discovery, exploration, and let's just face it, exploitation yep. of all the other areas of the world. So opening up and, and exploitation of, of North America, South America, Asia, Africa, there's some really, really cool dynamics about how you conduct your business. There's some really interesting ethics about yep. whether or not you use slaves or not. And, yep. and then potentially if you use slaves, there may come a point where that actually hurts you later in the game. There's some really interesting historical and player interaction going on that, that I think makes this game really a, a top game in my book. I have been dying to get this to the table since it came in and I unfortunately haven't um, I'm hoping to do that very soon. And 
this this expansion announcement has definitely made me more likely to try and try and get it back before the expansion drops so that I can um, determine whether or not I need to back this expansion. Yeah, and so what's going to be going on with this expansion? For those of you who have already played um, Endeavor, this is going to add seven new decks of asset cards, so new buildings um, as well. So if you like Endeavor, this is going to add more of what you like. Just It's the same mechanics, just kind of streamlining some things by adding some new things in. The art and graphic design is all going to be original from the graphic designer, Josh Capel. And it's going to, again, this is for two to five players. You can play it in about 90 minutes. And it's going to launch on Kickstarter on June, June 18th, 2019, with fulfillment next summer, um, early summer 2020. And so if you want to learn more, you can visit the Endeavor website, which is EndeavorGame.com. And so how you spell that, because it's not how you might think, is E-N-D-E-A-V-O-R Game.com. And so we'll definitely talk more as we get more and more information from the companies. And like I said, I did receive this PR announcement from those companies. And I want to say thank you to them for doing that. Um, really appreciate when companies reach out and, uh, and support the show like that. And so based on that, we wanted to share it with you because Endeavor is also the hundred, it's number 146 currently on BGG, which is a huge deal. And so it's a good game, but um, you might want to go check it out when it comes out. And so, Josh, you have one here on the left for us to talk about real quick. So this is one that I believe uh, I will am still strongly considering um, based off of our conversation, I believe, last episode, if I'm not mistaken, maybe two episodes ago, yep. you brought up Raccoon Tycoon. Yes, I did. Um, which I said at the time was a game I was really disappointed I had missed out on when we decided not to play it at BGGCon last year. And so Raccoon Tycoon is coming out with an expansion, the Fat Cat expansion. Love it the looks name. like this is adding some new content, uh, including mm -hmm. new building tiles, meeples, and cards, which uh, are new ways to build a diff an economic engine yep. and new strategies to make more money. Yeah, so we've talked about Raccoon Tycoon twice on the show already. Actually, so this is by Forbidden Games. Um, Raccoon Tycoon was a very popular Kickstarter um, and then we missed out on the chance to play it. We had it in our hands. We didn't play it at BGGCon. I ended up doing a lot more research on it afterwards and decided I need to own this game based on some mechanics I love, like auctioning. And I didn't have anything with commodity speculation, so trying to buy low, sell high on different types of goods. And then auctioning mixed in there to auction off different uh, railroads and it's like set collection. There's a lot of fun interaction going on here. Every gamer I've had play this game has wanted to play it again. This game, this is adding in cool player boards for the first time, which is nice. More buildings to streamline things like Josh said, but also like really cool other interactions. It's also adding in, and I've been talking a lot with Forbidden Games on Facebook, it's adding in wild cards that you can bid on so they can work for any of the railroads. And so those 
those ones are going to go for crazy money as you're trying to sell them, which is cool. Um, it's also adding in another start player token. You, we like don't need this thing, but it's cool because the original one is like a three inch tall, maybe four inch tall raccoon holding a little lantern. The art on this game is adorable, y'all. You need to go look at it. Um, and this one's adding a little fat cat. It's a little woman cat with her string of pearls around her neck. Yes, that's right. The cat has a string of pearls. Um, this game, in the first day of this Kickstarter, they blew through every single stretch goal that they have. Every single one of them. And they've been adding new stretch goals, new content. Um, they've been just blown away from in talking with them on how this is doing. So it's just really, really cool for them. This is definitely a passion project, but obviously they're a game company, so this is what they do. But this game is just really cool. The most adorable thing about this, Josh, is that when they were originally designing the game, the designer has a 12-year-old daughter. And as a unlock that we unlocked, we unlocked what's called Emma's Art Deck. And you replace the art of the railroad cards with Emma's like drawings of the art. And so it's a 12-year-old, like think of like somebody in your family, just a 12-year-old designing what a, uh, a, a raccoon in a like suit would look like or a dog wearing a dress it's really really cute and like obviously not needed but if you like the game this is just a fun fun little thing to add on um, and it's going to add in a whole bunch more things that's just really cool um, congrats for uh, forbidden games for the success on this um, thank you for entertaining all of my questions on facebook and instagram um, really appreciate that but y'all are doing really great with this so it has 1400 backers it had a goal of five thousand dollars just to bring this because it was a smaller print run to begin with and they've already reached sixty two thousand dollars and this will be closing in uh in about 20 days-ish, listeners, so you got some time, but it'll close on June 7th. And so that's all we've got for Kickstarters and things for today. Um, Josh, do you have any closing comments for the listeners? Well, um, listeners, I do encourage you to go out and back this uh, this game because I am doing it as we speak <laughs> right now. Um, I converted I him. I said I was going to hold off until the closer to the deadline but <laughs> i i just looking at this i can't hold off any longer um so that is what i will be doing um <laughs> listeners thank you so much for for joining us um please give us any feedback you may have about the show um games that you would like for us to discuss um games that you'd like for us to to mention um we'll definitely look into those and uh, any other suggestions you might have, we're always open to hearing those. Uh, you can reach out. I am not the one posting, but I do follow uh, the Board Game Impact Facebook and Instagram pretty religiously. So they're, it's the main reason that I have an Instagram is to follow the, the show's Instagram. So, um, But again, thank you so much. Um, and and please please let us know. And listeners, I'm going to teach Josh. I did give him marketer access on Facebook, so I'll teach him how to do that. Um, and then also get him access to the Instagram, so you'll be seeing his stuff too. Um, but he's always lurking in the comments. But again, my name is Bruce Brown, and you can find me on Board Game Geek as Bruce Brown. And as Josh just mentioned, all the posts currently of Board Game Impact, that's me. Huzzah! Um, 
I hope that listening, we hope that listening to Board Game Impact and learning what a gaming experience has been having for us and what things we're excited about and what things are going on in the hobby is helpful for you and your gaming group. So please, like Josh mentioned, please do reach out. If, um, if you want to reach out, our website is boardgameimpact.com. You can email us at boardgameimpact at gmail.com. The, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, which are just Board Game Impact. I also want to do a quick shout out to our phenomenal Patreon backers who support in making the show a reality. Um, and so if you want to learn more about what we're trying to do here, because this is a uh, passion project, but it does have costs. And so we want to be able to keep doing this and putting out more content. And so our Patreon backers are helping us meet those goals and make this self-sustaining and make this as something we can continue doing even more so. And um, so please do go over to patreon.com slash board game impact and learn about our goals. Um, if you are headed again to BGG Spring, please let me know. Um, please shoot me an email so that way we can meet up at the convention. I will be walking around with a lanyard, and it, my logo on my lanyard is the Board Game Impact logo, and then I do have a red media badge. I believe they're red. Um, and so do be on the lookout. Say, introduce yourself to me. Um, I'd love to meet you and get a game in, hopefully. Um, if you... Uh, can please share the show with your friends um, and if so if you're not going or going whatever just share the show with your friends and get this out to some others so that way we can continue to spread the, the knowledge and spread the expertise that we're sharing um, and continue to foster a community together do rate the show in your favorite podcast app um, but really Josh and I just want to say thank you so much for allowing us to do this for allowing us to be played out of your car speakers or into your headphones wherever you are in the world and if you are traveling over that Memorial Day weekend please do uh, have safe travels um, but regardless we hope you get in a lot of fun games and also go have a positive impact on the world thank you thank you